I'm Larry Woodard, and welcome to Admire. My guest today was a high school All-American who played for basketball powerhouse Damatha Catholic High School, winning a national championship for legendary coach Morgan Wooten in his junior year. He went on to win a NCAA Division I national championship at NC State under coach Jim Valvano. He's been an ESPN analyst, a college basketball coach, an NBA scout, a philanthropist. I welcome to the show, Derek Wittenberg. Good morning, Larry. <laughs> Good morning. Let's start at the beginning. You're a little kid running around playing basketball. At what point did you know you were talented, and did you have any inkling that basketball could take you this far? Well, it all started when I was growing up in uh, the, the Maryland area, in Prince George's County, and I started playing basketball and football and baseball, three sports. And uh, some of my buddies in the neighborhood uh, thought that was going to be sort of that was blossoming to a good player. And then I got offered to go to DeMatha High School uh, in the 10th grade. And I think that's where it all started. So you were literally surrounded by and in some cases related to basketball royalty. Paint the landscape of what was around you coming up. Uh, In our neighborhood, um, everybody played kind of – Street basketball, football. We went around in different neighborhoods and played uh, sports. And it was basically basketball, football, and baseball. And then you had uh, guys in the neighborhood that would encourage you. And you played with a lot of older guys. And and uh, you would just learn how to play uh, all those three different sports. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, they they would encourage you and 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 give you a lot of confidence and encourage you that you, you got an opportunity back then opportunity to go to college was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're playing, so in your high school, in your neighborhood, a lot of players of note uh, have, have come, come about. Um, name some of those guys. Well, in, in our neighborhood expression, well, I tell you one guy from my neighborhood was Sugar Ray Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, you know, one town down uh, Palmer Park. And I remember Sugar Ray Leonard had, uh, had qualified for the Olympics. It was going around and uh, uh, trying to raise money because uh, you qualify, but you need to raise money to actually uh, sponsor your trip. And so in my neighborhood, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, and then you had uh, a host of other guys like the, the late Lynn Bias and the others mm-hmm. from the Prince George's County area that uh, that really encourage you and, and you got to remember too Larry I was the first guy from my from my neighborhood that went to a Catholic school like the Mapa High School mm-hmm. and everybody didn't was was wondering what that was going to do for my career so so when you you get to Damatha, um is it um, uh, do you immediately have a have a, an instance where you're you're playing against guys who are a lot better, or were you ready? Well, when I arrived at DeMatha High School, I didn't know what to expect. It, it was a different experience. You go to a Catholic school, you have to dress up in gray slacks and a blazer every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to the other side of town, it's, it's more of a, uh, a diverse school. It's half blacks and half whites. Uh, it was just a different experience. But when I got there for the basketball sense, there was a lot of other good players, but I, I first met Sidney Lowe, mm-hmm. who came from the Washington, D.C. area, and I was tagged as one of the best players from the Maryland area. So there was a lot of good players, but I, I wasn't intimidated at all. I was actually excited about the opportunity. That's great. So you, you start playing. So when did you start blossoming as a high school player, and, and when did you start getting heavily recruited by colleges? 
Well, actually, it was uh, my sophomore year, and you got to remember the Matha was one of the was the first uh, first schools uh, could have national reputation because we had the great player Adrian Dantley, who mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame. We had James Brown, who uh, uh, works for CBS, who was a, one of the first great players in the seventies that turned down all the top schools, and James Brown ended up going to Harvard. So the Matha had national acclaim and a lot of publicity around the country. So going to DeMatha in my sophomore year, I think that that's when I really started to, uh, to come in my own. In my junior year at DeMatha, we won the national championship in 1978. We went 28-0. Mm-hmm. So I think my sophomore year was the beginning, but my junior year is when I was the second league scorer coming off the bench on a national championship high school team. Mm-hmm. So you start getting recruited and um, and you decide to go to to, to NC State. Uh, what 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 caused that decision? And um, and did you ever think about going anywhere else? Well, it was a dream come true uh, that uh, uh, back then uh, it wasn't so much going to the NBA as getting a, a college scholarship. That was huge in my neighborhood, and, for, and I was the first in my family. I'm a first generation graduate. And I just thought it was, a, it was a great opportunity. And it's probably my junior year when I started getting a lot of attention. But I visited uh, Rutgers. I visited Penn State. Um, I, I visited NC State. And then I had uh, a little bit of encouragement because my cousin, David Thompson, who was a great player at NC State, I watched him on ACC uh, on TV. And I saw what kind of career he got. And I always dreamed about going to NC State and playing for the late uh, Norm Sloan with mm-hmm. Checker Jacket. So, I always, in my heart, in my mind, I always wanted to go to NC State. But I also had a a, a real love for University of Maryland with Lefty Trezell. And, and Maryland was right. uh, one of the hottest teams as well back then. And uh, Lefty Trezell was a very colorful coach. But uh, at the end, I decided to go to NC State. So, so you get to NC State, and uh, and you know, throughout your career, you played against some some really, really, I mean, some Hall of Famers. Um, talk about playing college basketball during that era and some of the, the greatest people that you played against. Well, the 80s, especially the early 80s, was tapped as uh, one of the best uh, eras in college basketball. Uh, matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed, know Larry, but in 1979, the class, the high school class of 79 was 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 known as one of the best classes ever. You had Isaiah Thomas, you had D- Dominic Wilkins, you had uh, Clyde Drexler. You had uh, Ralph Sampson. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you had James Worthy in that class. It, it was some great players in that class. And all the guys stayed in school for four years. So the competition was, was outstanding. And uh, the ACC at the time, Larry, was the best conference in the country. Mm-hmm. When you played against North Carolina and, and, U, and UVA with Ralph Sampson, those are the one and two teams in the in the nation at the time. Yeah, that that sounds really exciting. So, so, did you guys get to know each other? I mean, was there there a lot of trash talking? I mean, just paint it paint it for me. I would say there was subtle uh, trash talking, like not when you do in the playground, but I think there was a little little snapping here and there. Especially James Worthy, mm-hmm. a lot of people know was probably one of the biggest trash talkers, not malicious, but just. He would say, run down the court and say something like, that guy can't guard me with, he can't guard, you better get somebody on me. And it was, 
it was kind of a, uh, a playful trash talking. It wasn't yeah. more than malicious, but there was there was some trash talking going out there. <laughs> and, and so, where did you where did you put yourself? Were you really confident when you were playing uh, college? And um, you know, I know you were a captain. You were sort of a team leader. Uh, how did that all come about? Well, I was extremely confident. It goes back to my, my upbringing. I, I played against some of my the older guys growing up, and they always encouraged me. They always made me tough and beat me up and pushed me around. So I think from from growing up and playing with older guys, I think that really helped me, gave me a lot of confidence. And I was one of the few guys, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Guy Black, uh, that owns a security company. He went into the military. He got me involved in weights early. So I felt very confident and strong, and I practiced a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went to the playground by myself and shot the ball outside, went to the rec center, shot. So my confidence came through my work and uh, and a lot of encouragement by my friends and family. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about the transition from player to coach. I know as a captain, you were a player leader, but what's the mental change that occurs as you move from player to coach? Well, it's it's uh, it's a huge jump because uh, when you talk about player to coach, so I leave NC State in '83. Uh, I go to get drafted by the Phoenix Suns. I get cut. I go to Europe for a year and play in France, and then Coach Valvano calls me back, and I come back and start my coaching career. And coaching was a lot different, long hours. Uh, really entrenched with your players in the program. And then once you move from the assistant coach to the head coach, that six-inch move from one chair to the other is even a bigger adjustment because now you're in charge of the whole program and you have to have leadership skills. So I think that that those three tra- those three transfers from player to assistant coach to head coach is what, what a transition in each one. And and it takes some time to to really develop your your skills. So so you put on the coaching jacket, and the jacket fits. I mean, most people that I know, and me included, call you Coach Wittenberg, and that's how we see you. Um, but you're entrepreneurial, and you like to take on new challenges. But I've heard the phrase "once a coach, always a coach." Does that describe you? Well, I, what what I'm trying to prove now is that uh, first of all, I'm an educated individual. Uh, that left college. Now I just got a degree. So I wanted to, I, I consider myself being well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Coaching and basketball is part of who I am. That's not all of who I am. And I'm more interested now in philanthropy, helping people, being involved with the Jimmy V Foundation, being involved with my own foundation. My wife and I started a foundation where we uh, raised money to help juniors and seniors finish college. You know, in the local area, in Raleigh area, I went to over 150-some events in the Raleigh area, different organizations. So my, my focus is to in philanthropy to really be involved in helping people because my, my philosophy is the community is being, being involved and being present at the same time. You talk about, you know, sort of your, your efforts with uh, your own foundation, the Derek Wittenberg Foundation, the V Foundation. I know you do a lot of speaking and you do a lot of helping other people, you know, raise money for their causes as well as, you know, talk to young people. Well, why is giving back so important to you? Well, it's all about your legacy. Yeah, we, I think we get our focus mixed up. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, before you leave this earth, Larry, 
it's going to be about the people that you touch and the people that you help. It's not going to be about the, the house that you got, the car that you drive. At the end of the day, your legacy is going to be about people. Mm-hmm. And I can't help to think about the two men that influenced me the most was Jim Valvano and Morgan Wooten. Right. Their legacy lives on. Jim lives on by the work that we've uh, been been able to help with the Jimmy V Foundation. And Morgan Wooten's legacy about all the coaches and people that he had empowered and gave opportunities to, you you will always hear those those names for the rest of your life and, and maybe even forever because they impacted so many people. Part of um, of being able to, to, to do some of the things that you're doing uh, entails making your voice bigger and bigger, reaching more and more people. Uh, you've been involved producing some very successful and entertaining broadcast content. In fact, the 30 for 30 Survive in Advance doc is my favorite doc of all times. Uh, have you been bitten by the Hollywood bug? Are you just motivated to share some great stories about events you participated in, or is it a little of both? Actually, that 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 motivation was spearheaded by me being fired as a coach at Fordham University. And a lot of times, people think when so you get fired, that that's something that bad happened. Hey, it it, it happened, and now what what do you do now? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting on the couch and um, I'm watching the Fab Five, the thirty to thirty about the Michigan Five players. And I, I called my buddy up, Jonathan Hawk, and I said, you know what? I think the NC State story, we, we have a story as well. From that, uh, we did the, the NC State story, Survive in Advance, in 2013. Then right after that, we did uh, the film about Bill McCartney, um, Promise Keepers. Uh, we, we did that film as well. Then later, I did the Morgan Wooten film. So... Am I bitten by the bug? I'm just excited to tell great stories about great individuals and their teams. And I think it's it's fun. And also, it, it really uh, it, it inspires people when they hear these stories and it spearheads their, their journey. And it also encourages others to, to tell their stories as well. Sure. And I'm sure you have much more where, where, where those came from. What What's next in terms of producing? What's next, um, uh, Jonathan and I will be working on another project again and, and three other uh, producers. Uh, we're going to produce a six-part series on the history of the ACC tournament that started back in, in the 1950s. And there will be six parts starting from the 50s and the 60s, 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and present day. I think it's going to be a wonderful project about the history of uh, of the first uh, college basketball tournament in the country and the most prestigious. And uh, I think it's a fun project. I'm talking to a lot of neat guys and, and ladies, and uh, I'm really enjoying this project. Uh, that sounds good, and I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be there. Um, so the world lost Kobe Bryant earlier this year. Um, uh, what will Kobe's legacy be in your mind? Uh, just so ironic, uh, my high school coach, Morgan Wooten, had uh, memorial service that Sunday, and mm-hmm. I'm driving to the memorial service, and I thought it was a hoax that uh, Kobe Bryant had passed away in a helicopter accident. Right. When I get to the gym, and they start interviewing me, talk about Coach Wooten, they were asking me about Kobe Bryant. Little did they know, uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, I actually recruited uh of Kobe Bryant when he was at Marion and I knew his uh, uh, Joe Bryant his dad what we call him Jelly Bean mm-hmm. I recruited recruited uh, Kobe Bryant in high school and 
didn't imagine that uh, he would be this kind of player. But his dad said that uh, he Kobe is going to be the next guy, and his dad was right. And uh, Kobe was much more confident than Michael Jordan in high school. Mm-hmm. And I know people don't believe it because Michael was not as confident. Uh, coming out of high school, and he really didn't blossom to. He was a junior in college. Right. But Kobe Bryant was ready, and um, he, he, he had an outstanding pro career. And he was driven guy, a driven guy that that ate sleep basketball twenty four seven. But I think that the, the sad thing about his legacy is that I think he was going to be doing just as good or mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. in the business world. Because right. I think he loved people, he loved kids. He wanted to, he wanted to help people. He wanted to make an impact in in the in the real world, and I think he was headed that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I, I know along the way you've gotten some great advice, and you've given some as well. What counsel do you have for young people who are trying to get started in the midst of this economic headwinds and the COVID nineteen epidemic? Uh, I think this is a time to. Uh, a couple things. Number one, this is a time to connect with people. Hmm. And although you can't see people physically and you can't touch them, I think this is a time to uh, call family, reach out to your friends. I went through every Rolodex at both of my phones, every number I could find, and called my friends to check on them, called my colleagues okay. to check on them, called my donors and check on them. And I think that, that that was missing a while. And I think it's going to bring us back that we got to, the human part is that we got to continue to connect with people because the bottom line, this is about your health and this, this is about people, this epidemic. And this, this too shall pass. And then there's also a time to be creative. This is a time to learn. You have time to read. You have time to research. You have time to listen to podcasts like your podcast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a, uh, an opportunity to do something positive, uh, not just for yourself, but families and friends and your business partners. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That Those are very, very good uh, good words of advice. Um, last night, um, I had a buddy who had a birthday, and just on a whim, I, I asked my wife if uh, we, we could call him. So we call him on speakerphone, and they're just about to cut the cake. And um, so he and his family put it on speakerphone, and we go on for 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, they forgot about the cake. They were so happy to be engaging with people. And uh, and I was really thinking about, wow, you know, this engagement really is courtesy of COVID-19 because, you know, we're both so busy that I don't think that the, anything like that would have happened, you know, uh, otherwise. Well, Larry, I just want to add this story. I'm watching a uh, 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 documentary about Bill Gates, and it's about the brain of Bill Gates. And I saw a lot of wonderful things that Bill Gates is involved in, eradicate polio and a lot of different things. And he's one of the richest men in the world. And I saw that one part of the story is that he started Microsoft with Paul Allen, and they were very good friends. And, uh, and at one point, Paul Allen didn't want to work the long hours, and he wanted to, to live his life. So somehow Paul Allen and Bill Gates had a little falling out. And they were going back and forth throughout their life that, that they, didn't, they didn't contact each other. Sometimes they contacted each other. Well, Paul Allen was diagnosed with cancer for the second time, I, I believe, in 2018. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his life, 
Bill Gates didn't have the opportunity to go see Paul in his last days. And that's what I'm talking about connecting with people. Here's the richest man in the world who started a business with his friend Mm -hmm. in his last days of cancer. He didn't have the opportunity to go see his very, one of his best friends take his last breath. To me, that's what's, that's what's missing a little bit. We got to take, we got to take time and visit our friends and stay connected with our, with our friends because that, at the end of the day, that's going to be the most important thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Look, uh, you know, thanks for your time, your wisdom and insights. Um, any parting thoughts for uh, our listeners? Well, the, the, I, w- I would say that, Larry, this is uh, us sharing information to individuals is, is going to be ongoing. I think it's going to blossom. And uh, I want to continue to support you and, uh, and your wonderful podcast. And uh, I just encourage everybody to stay connected to people and, and listen to podcasts and learn as much as you can during these tough times. My guest has been Derek Wittenberg, uh, friend and mentor. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Derek. Uh, this is Admire, the podcast. Um, you can find it on iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts.